Father, we thank you for this glorious truth. You've given us this promise that you will not leave us or forsake us. That our love for you is driven by the fact that you're holding on to us. Lord, we thank you so much that your love for us is not contingent on our ability to hold on to you. It's contingent on your ability to hold on to us. And you've promised you're not letting us go. So, Father, from that place of security today, from that place of confidence, from that place of acceptance, will you put us in a place that we can joyfully receive your word? We believe that scripture comes from you and that scripture is for our good. Your son Jesus has given us your word. And he's asked for us to be kept from the evil one. And he has asked for us to be sanctified in truth. So, Father, we pray this week, as we pray every week, that you would do that work in our midst now. Will you edify your church and glorify your name? Lord, we ask, as your son Jesus asked, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Will we bring ourselves under it now? May it bear fruit in our lives. We ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can be seated. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm gonna invite you to turn with me in your Bible. John chapter 17, uh, verses 14 through 19 is where we'll be together uh, this morning, picking up where we left off just a couple weeks ago. I wanna say just very quickly at the the top this morning, um, just thank you so much, church family. You're you're just uh, overwhelming love and support for my family as we I mourn the passing of my grandfather the last couple of weeks. I really appreciate Cole uh, stepping in in a pinch last Sunday. Man, did, did Cole not just bring the noise last week? I mean, just hey, can, we, can we just give him a hand even just for the word he brought uh, to our church family? I'm so grateful for him. I was uh, driving uh, on the way back last Sunday, and I was coming through Atlanta uh, really around the time that the live stream was going. And man, I was just having revival in my car uh, with, uh, with what Cole was dropping last week. So, so grateful for him for stepping in. And just thank you for your love and your support uh, for my family over the last week. So John 17, we'll look at verses 14 through 19 um, together today. You know, sometime over the last year, I don't even remember exactly when it was, I closed a prayer right before the sermon one morning by praying the words of John 17, 17, really a paraphrase of the words of Jesus. I just closed the prayer that morning by praying, sanctify us in truth, your word is truth. Um, I don't remember exactly why, I don't remember exactly when it it was, but uh, they were the words of John 17, and that's what the Lord laid on my heart. But ever since that moment, those words have just kind of stuck. And that's, that's the, the phrase that I've spoken, and those are the words that I've paraphrased pretty much since every sermon since then, in, in the prayer before. These words from John 17, sanctify us in truth, your word is truth. These are the words Jesus prays over his disciples in John 17. And, and you know, I, I know that you know this, and I know that you feel this. I think the reason why continued praying those words, and really the reason why I chose the words sanctify us in truth for the title of this message series through John 17 is because, I don't know about you, but I feel the confusion of the world right now. Like, we're living in a cultural moment, and it's not that this is unique to us right now in history, but it feels especially unique to the cultural moment we're in right now. Like, our world is just a wildly disoriented place. You know, things that even just a few years ago were widely accepted as true and false and good and evil, in some cases, even among non-Christians, have suddenly become blurred 
and confused. Just listen to the terms that we use and some of the terms that have been coined over the last several years. We use terms like fake news, post-truth. It was Oprah Winfrey who popularized the phrase, live your own truth. Moral relativism has been telling us for decades that we have to define our own truth. There's this endless debate of terms. There's the constant shifting of definitions of what words mean. And so inevitably, the result of all of this is chaos. Truth at its most basic fundamental levels of human existence is now up for grabs. Basic questions. What is a woman? What is a man? We're told that we are not allowed to define this for anyone else. We have to decide it for ourselves. What makes it so disorienting is, is, it, is what, what's been revealed over the last couple decades in particular is that sometimes even within the church where the truth has been preached, it hasn't always been practiced. And this is very confusing for us. We've seen it all exposed in recent decades, sexual abuse scandals and financial corruption in recent years, the, the, the sacrifice of biblical morality in the name of political expediency. Churches left and right are compromising truth and affirming the sexual ethics of a broken and corrupt world and throwing out the Bible in the process. So, so the trouble for us today is that the lies of the enemy aren't just coming to us from the world. In many cases, they're coming to us from within the church. University Christian Church in San Diego is a church that advertises itself as being authentic, inclusive, and progressive. And there was a recent viral TikTok video from their leader, I'm not going to use the word pastor, from their, word, uh, their leader, Caleb Lines, and, and he's recorded as saying this. This is a direct quote from this message he gave that day. God is gay. God is a lesbian. God is trans. God is gender neutral and non-binary. God is straight. God is cisgendered. God is black. God is white. God is Middle Eastern. God is Asian. God is differently abled mentally and physically. God is able-bodied. God is you, and you are God because you are a reflection of God's divine image. This message comes not from the world. This message comes from within a group that postures itself as a church. And listen, church, this morning, if you think that's just an outlier, you really need to wake up and start paying attention because that ideology is starting to creep into the church in a million different subversive ways. We need to open up our eyes and understanding that the wolves in sheep's clothing, they're not just coming, they're already here. And in many ways, they've been here for a very long time. And again, I know you're feeling this confusion. I know you're feeling the confusion because I'm feeling it too. Some days right now, it feels impossible to know the difference between up and down and left and right. We're confused about right and wrong and good and evil because things that are wrong are being called right and things that are evil are being called good. And in a world that's post-truth, we need to be reminded that his word is truth. In a world that says we need to define our own truth, we need to be reminded that God has already defined the truth. In a world that says live your own truth, the Lord has already determined the truth that you and I should live. So in week one, we saw Jesus pray for himself. Father, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And then two weeks ago, we saw him praying for his disciples. Holy Father, keep them in your name. And today we'll see him continuing to pray for his disciples by asking the Father to keep them from the evil one by sanctifying them in truth. So from John 17, this is the passage Josiah read just a few moments ago. I'm going to read again for us, verses 14 through 16. Just picking up where we left off a couple weeks ago. Jesus prays, I have given them your word. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
So we see first this morning from Jesus in his prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples to be protected from evil. This is at, at the heartbeat of what he's praying for in verses 14 through 16, that we would be protected from evil. Verse 14, Jesus says to the Father, I have given them your word. Now, while Jesus affirmed and he fulfilled, as we saw as we studied the Sermon on the Mount, all of the Old Testament teachings, here Jesus is specifically referring to his teaching that he's given to his disciples. We saw it two weeks ago in John 1. Jesus is himself the word who became flesh, the capital W word, the logos. He's the full revelation of the knowledge and the wisdom of God, and he's declared that wisdom to his disciples, and it's been preserved for us in the scriptures. So by living according to what he's revealed, we're going to draw the hatred of the world. This is what Jesus is praying for here. Let's look at this in a couple of different parts. Jesus makes it clear as he prays in verses 14 through 15, the world will hate us. He knows that we're going to be hated by the world. Again, we saw it a couple weeks ago, briefly in John 1. Jesus is the light that has come into the world. The light shined in the darkness, and God's judgment against man is that humanity hated the light and loved the darkness. In our sinful state, listen, we don't just resist the holiness and the righteousness of God. In our sinful state, we hate the holiness and the righteousness of God. And this is, I think, what's different for us from the first century disciples who heard Jesus praying these words. You know, you and I, for the most part, have grown up and we've lived in a culture where we really haven't faced a ton of outright hostility because of our belief in Jesus Christ. Again, that's becoming increasingly less true as time goes on. But the reality is, for the overwhelming majority of our country's history, the overwhelming majority of people have at least identified as being followers of Jesus. Even today, as we navigate fake news and post-truth and, and corrupted morality even within the church, at least the majority of our nation still identifies and would say in term that they're followers of Jesus Christ. That's the context you and I have lived in. For the first century disciples who were hearing Jesus praying this world, like they were already feeling this. They absolutely knew that following Jesus was going to draw the hatred of the world. They saw how the scribes and the Pharisees treated Jesus. They saw the pushback that Jesus was receiving. And Jesus had been teaching them and preparing for this moment all along. And even today, as much of our nation becomes increasingly post-Christian, the majority of us at least still identify as followers of Christ. But we have to know, church, that, that more and more as time goes on, the world is not growing less hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's growing more. We're feeling this even as we sit here this morning. Matthew 5.12, we saw this as we studied on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had warned, he had, he had taught those who were listening to them. He told them these days were coming. He said, blessed are you when others revile you, slander you, utter all kinds of evil falsely against you on my account. He says, rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. Jesus had been preparing them for this. Never at any point in time in his gospel ministry did Jesus promise his disciples that things were going to be easy. He did not promise them that they were going to be loved by the world, that they were going to be accepted by the world, that they were going to be celebrated by the world. He told them they were going to be rejected by the world. He told them they'd be persecuted by the world. He told them that they would be hated by the world. Here's the paradox, though. Jesus says the hatred of the world isn't a burden. He says it's a blessing. Because the more you and I experience the hatred and the pushback and the persecution of the world, the more it's serving to make us more and more like Jesus Christ because that's what he received when he was in the world. And he's given us his word. And when he gives us his word, the reality is the world's gonna hate us for it. The world is going to hate us for the things that we believe. 
The world hated Jesus for the things that he was teaching. We should not expect anything different for us. Our pluralistic world is going to absolutely hate it when we say that our God is the only true God. They're absolutely going to hate it when we say that his son, Jesus Christ, is the one and only hope of salvation. The world is going to hate us when we uphold God's good and perfect design in marriage. The world is absolutely going to hate us, call us oppressive even, for fighting to preserve life in the womb. It's going to hate us for these things. But listen, even in the religious culture, religious people are going to hate us when we show grace to sinners and stand with them in their sin. Self-righteous religious people will not be able to stand it when you associate with people who don't look like them. The same things happen to Jesus. The same things are going to happen to us. And I hope you understand this. If you are faithfully going to follow Jesus Christ in the 21st century America, you better be ready to draw backlash from both sides. We're going to draw the ire of the world because they're not going to like our morality. They're not going to like our truth. And we're going to drive some ire from even within the religious culture. They're going to hate us because of our grace. We're going to receive this from both sides of the boat. A rebellious world will hate you because of your truth. A self-righteous world will hate you because of your grace. There's two plumb lines that we've really tried to hold on to as a church for the last several years. We've always said from the beginning that we want to be a a church that preaches a a message of unapologetic truth and also embraces a mission of unconditional love. And we want to try to hold these two things in tension as best as we possibly can. So, So again, if you're new with us, if you're new with our church family, here's what you need to know about us. Number one, we have like a ridiculous amount of confidence in the Bible. Uh, We just have a ridiculous amount of confidence in the word of God. We actually believe the Bible and we don't apologize and we're not embarrassed of anything that it says. We believe that all scripture has come from God and we believe that all scripture is for our good, even the difficult parts to process, which means we're not gonna edit it, we're not gonna sugarcoat it, we're not gonna ignore it, we're gonna preach it verse by verse and we're not gonna skip the hard parts, we're gonna take it as it comes. It's the ultimate authority for all matters of faith and living, so we don't adjust its message in order to accommodate modern sensibilities. We hold to a message of unapologetic truth, but on the other side of that, we also embrace a mission of unconditional love. Yes, we hold on to the Bible no matter what it says, but we also welcome sinners no matter what they've done. We're not ashamed of standing with sinners any more than we are ashamed of what the Word of God says about us. And listen, if we do this, if we try to hold these two things in equal tension, we're going to draw the ire both of a rebellious world and an overly religious culture in its self-righteousness. We're going to receive this from both sides. The self-condemned world will hate our truth, and the self-righteous Pharisees will hate our grace. From both sides of the aisle, if you follow Jesus, you'll be hated by the world. And, and, and yet this is amazing. This is amazing what Jesus prays. Jesus doesn't pray for us to be taken out of the world. Jesus prays for our protection in the world. He prays to his Father, Father, keep them in the world. Like he explicitly prays, I'm not asking you to take them out of it. So Jesus is praying, keep them in the world, but keep them from evil. So it's not that he's trying to take us out of the world to remove us from evil. He wants us to be light, and he wants us to be holiness, and he wants us to be righteousness, not separate from the world, but right smack dab in the middle of the ugliness. He wants us to be the light in the darkness. And so as Christians, this is the constant tension in which we live. And I know many of us are familiar with this language. Jesus calls us to be in the world, but he doesn't call us to be of the world. So we're not separating one. It's, it's not one over here and one over here. It's us right in the middle of all of it. So we see that Jesus 
tells us that we're going to be hated by the world. And he shows us in verse 16 the reason for that is because we're not of this world. There's the tension that's present all through verses 14 through 19. The tension is the recognition that the world is going to hate those who belong to Jesus. The world's going to hate those who belong to Jesus, but even though we'll be hated, he still desires for us to be in the world. He makes it all clear through through this entire prayer that, that the world will hate us because we're not of the world, but he also makes it clear that the world's hatred of us doesn't mean that we just remove ourselves from it. He's calling us to live in the middle, but desires the opposite. We'll be hated by the world because we aren't of the world. And I remember um, as a sophomore in college, I was at uh, App State up in Boone um, where I grew up. And sophomore in college, I was taking a world religions class uh, during my first semester of my sophomore year. And, um, you know, if you aren't familiar with App State, like, it's not exactly a, a friendly environment educationally for those who are trying to faithfully follow Jesus. Uh, and uh, nor is the, the college a cultural atmosphere at, at all uh, conducive to those who are trying to faithfully follow Jesus Christ. And so I remember taking this world religions class, and our professor, the first day of class, he, he made this announcement. He said, listen, he said, this is a, a survey of the major world religions. So we're not really here to debate which ones are right, which ones are wrong. It's just an objective analysis and evaluation of all major world religions. And I really wanted to take him at his word. And for the first several weeks of the class, that was true. You know, so we talked about Buddhism, and we talked about Hinduism, and we talked about Islam, and we talked about Judaism, and we took objective looks at all these. You know, what were their core beliefs, and, and who were some of their key leaders, and what are some of the key developments throughout history? All of that was true until we got to Christianity. And suddenly, it was all about right and wrong. And suddenly, it was all about truth and, and, and falsehood. And, and I watched our professor work for the next few weeks as best as possible to try his very best to systematically undo the belief of any person in that room. And so again, everything was good until we got to Jesus. And I hope you understand that's a fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen. The world's going to hate you. And the world's going to hate us on account of him. He never promised that we'd be loved by everybody, that we'd be accepted by everybody, that we'd be liked by everybody. He never promised these things. He promised the exact opposite. The world's going to hate you, and the reason the world hates us is because we are not of this world. We're not just going to be criticized. We're going to be hated. The world is asleep in sin, and the world does not want to be woken up. And so when you and I shine the light of the gospel, it's like the person who's sleeping in utter darkness needs three more hours, and suddenly you flipped on the lights and turned on the music. They're not going to respond favorably. It doesn't mean that we intentionally agitate. It never gives us any excuse to be, to be dismissive and, and demeaning and to be insulting of other people. It's not that we're, we're attempting to try and make people upset and angry and, and to be offensive people. But the gospel is an offensive message because it speaks to our sin. So he wants us in the world, but he doesn't want us of the world. And the way he keeps us from being of the world is by giving us his word. I have given them your word. Don't forget what we saw just a couple weeks ago. Jesus prayed that his disciples would be kept in the Father's name. Holy Father, keep them in your name. That's what he wants to do. This verse shows us how he's going to do that. He's going to keep us in the Father's name by keeping us in his word. That's what we see in verse 15. He keeps us in his name by giving us his word. Then verses 17 through 19, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, sanctify them in truth. Sanctify them in truth. Everybody say truth. Sanctify them in truth. He didn't say sanctify them with their feelings. 
Didn't say sanctify them with ideas. Doesn't say sanctify them with true things. Sanctify them in truth. Sanctify them in truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So Jesus prays for his disciples to be protected from evil. Second, we see that Jesus prays for his disciples to be sanctified in the truth. Now, you know, here in the low country, we're, we're basically just a bunch of islands, right? Like, we, we require bridges, in many cases, to get from A to B. So our family lives on Ladies Island, which means if we're going downtown, you know, unless something chaotic's going on, we're probably taking the Woods Bridge. Uh, this morning, coming into Port Royal, we're taking the McTeer Bridge. And so we build bridges because we need to get to, from A to B. But, but when we build a bridge, we don't just build a structure that gets from one side to the other. As that bridge is built, there's also guardrails that are put in place because if you fall off the bridge, there's still danger that waits below. And so we don't just build the bridge, we build guardrails with the bridge to make sure you get there safely to the other side. And so, so here's what we see like from a couple weeks ago. Holy Father, keep them in your name. And here, I have given them your word. Here's how these two work together. Jesus prayed to the Father, Holy Father, keep them in your name. And listen, the Father's not gonna deny the Son. He's not gonna tell the Son no. Jesus prayed that we would be kept in his name. And so the bridge is going to be built. Like, we're going to make it to the other side. But the way we're going to make it to the other side is that he has given us his word. And the word is the guardrail that makes sure we stay safely there. Keep them in your name. That's the bridge. I have given them your word. Those are the guardrails. It's to make sure that, that as we're navigating this, that, that we have guiding principles, that we have guiding truth, that we're not veering off into danger and into destruction. He's promised we're going to get to the other side, and the way he's going to get us to the other side is by giving us his word. Those are the guardrails. He prays specifically here that we would be sanctified in truth. Now, to sanctify something really just means to set it apart as holy or for special use. And theologically, sanctification is both a moment and it's a process. The moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, that's what we call justification. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. In justification, God, who is the holy, perfect, righteous judge, he has declared us innocent of sin. We're declared innocent of sin, like we're no longer guilty before him, our sins are no longer counted against us. We have now righteousness counted for us. That's our justification. And in justification, we also have sanctification. We are made holy. We are cleansed of sin. We are purified of our faults and of our failures and our iniquities. And so we are pure before God. And yet we are also being sanctified. So, so sanctification is a moment in that, yes, we're purified of our sins, and yet this is also a progressive work where day in and day out, you and I are continually being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, the means by which he's given that God's going to sanctify us is by giving us his word. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And this sanctification is a process. So the good things you and I experience in our lives, this is part of our sanctification. We're being made more and more and more like Jesus Christ and the difficult things we face in our lives. This too is part of our sanctification. The difficult things we experience, even our suffering, it's all for our sanctification. Listen to me this morning. No matter how painful your life gets, no matter how hard your experiences are, Jesus wastes none of it. He doesn't waste anything. 
All of it is being used. All of it is serving to make us more and more and more like him. And even the experiences of suffering we have in this world, all that's going to do is serve the intensity of joy we're going to experience when we see him face to face. We know that the harder something is, the more difficult something is, we know how much greater the celebration is on the other side. We know that it's good for us to to go through hard things, to go through difficult things. We know that it's good and right and true for Marine recruits to go through an event called the crucible, right? We know this is good for them. We know it's good to be tested. We'll see this as we study the book of James here in just a few weeks. We know that it's good to be tested. It strengthens our faith. It makes us more and more like Jesus Christ. He doesn't waste anything. All of it is serving this process of making us more and more and more like him. Even the hatred of the world, the lies and the slander and the accusations, Jesus said they make us more like him. The persecution makes us more like him. Contending for the truth, when you get pushed back and it's unpopular, it makes you more like him. It's all a process of refinement. And please don't miss this today. Jesus is going to use all of it ultimately for our good and his glory. Even the worst of what we experience. So he prays to his father. Father, sanctify them in truth. Sanctify them in truth. And why does he pray for us to be sanctified in truth? We see in verse 17. Because his word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You know, it was actually just this morning. Um, I was, I had, I've got an ESV study Bible. If you don't have that study Bible, I'd strongly encourage you to get it. It's a really good resource. And uh, the ESV study Bible, I just saw this in the commentary. And I just want to quote directly something I read from that this morning. The ESV study Bible makes a good observation here that the word Jesus uses for truth, aletheia, uh, it's not an adjective, it's a noun. He doesn't pray your word is true. He prays your word is truth. And here's the direct quote from that commentary. It says, this implies that God's word does not simply conform to some other external standard of truth, but that is it is itself the truth. That is, it embodies truth, and it therefore is the standard of truth against which everything else must be tested and compared. You know, when you hear that term canon of scripture, that word canon really just means measuring rod. And the reason we have measuring rods is because if you say that something is nine inches and I say that something is 14 inches, what are we going to have to do? We need a unit of measurement. And when we call, talk about the canon of Scripture, that that's, that's what we're saying. We're saying this is our unit of measurement. As followers of Christ, this is our unit of measurement. The culture is not our unit of measurement. Our feelings are not the unit of measurement. Our experience is not the unit of measurement. Our stories are not the unit of measurement. Our friend's lived experience is not the unit of measurement. This is the, the unit of measurement that God has given his people. We measure everything against this. It's not just that the Bible is true. It is the truth. Jesus didn't present himself as a truth, but as the truth. And that truth has been preserved for us in his word. As Christians, we, we hold to the fact that this is our measuring rod. We will call good, good, and we'll call evil, evil. And the way we do that is according to what we see revealed here. And listen, whenever something doesn't square up, when we say something is right and the Bible says something is wrong, we don't edit and adjust the Bible to accommodate us. We edit ourselves and adjust to what God has revealed in his word. This is our unit of measurement. This is the measuring rod that we stand up against. If we say it's good, but God's word says it's evil, it is God's word that's right and not us. And we don't have editorial freedom to adjust that message. His word is truth. And we see from Jesus that with this word, we are sent into the world. 
Again, this, this is the tension that's present all the way from verses 14 through 19. It is yes, there's the promise, the world's gonna hate you. It's gonna despise you, we're gonna face persecution. Like that warning is, is absolutely present for us in this passage. But even knowing that we're gonna face hatred, that we're gonna face pushback, that we're gonna face persecution, Jesus doesn't pray for us to be removed from all of it. He prays for us to persevere through it. He prays for us to make it through. So, so his word is truth, and with that truth, we're sent into the world. In verse 19, Jesus says that he consecrated himself. He sets himself apart so that you and I can be set apart. And listen, this is the gospel message. Fundamentally, this is the gospel message. He sets himself apart, and he lives a perfectly holy, righteous, sinless life. He goes to the cross where he takes our place in death and pays the penalty for sin that we owed. And because he's done this, you and I can now be set apart ourselves as holy and blameless through repentance of our sin and faith in his name. He consecrated himself so you and I can be consecrated. He set himself apart so that you and I too can be set apart as holy and righteous. And he purchased our sanctification. And he progressively sanctifies us in his truth. You know, I think unfortunately with many of us, when we hear this word sanctified, we, instead of thinking holiness, we actually think about holier than boundness. Let me explain the difference between these. You know, when we hear the word sanctified, someone who's saved, someone who's sanctified, someone who's set apart, we take that to mean that we're supposed to live in a bubble separate from the rest of the world. And that's not at all the intention of what Jesus is praying for here. You, you ask around this room, like, I, this was my story for, for a lot of my upbringing, as my, my parents kind of progressively moved us out of this, but I know this is the story for many of you uh, around the room, is that, man, some of us grew up in some really, really, really unhealthy expressions of fundamentalism, where the favorite verse that was constantly quoted was 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18, quoted in the King James, of course. And what was the verse that we heard every single week? Come out from among them and be ye separate. That one verse was taken to mean that our role as followers of Jesus was to totally separate ourselves from the rest of the world. Maybe one day they'll come stumbling through our doors, and if they're here, we'll share the gospel message. But, but fundamentally, at a base level, we, no, we remove ourselves from all that. We remove ourselves from these things. We don't, we don't go near that. We don't associate with that. We don't, we don't, we don't touch that. And, and number one, like not only does that miss like the greater context of the entire book of 1 Corinthians, if you actually read it, not only does it miss the whole context, it clearly goes against what Jesus desires for his people based on what we see him praying here. He explicitly prays, don't take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. Yes, sanctify them in the truth. Yes, but I'm sending them into the world. Because I want the world that's lost in its darkness. I want the world that's lost in sin. I want the world that's dying and perishing to know salvation in my name. And that's what he's given us. It's not to hide in a holy huddle and put ourselves in a plastic bubble. That is the opposite of what Jesus wants. No, he does not want us of the world, but he absolutely, church, wants us in it. And he wants us in it with the gospel. And listen, you know why so much of our culture, why so much of our world has fallen apart? Because we have surrendered our responsibility in that. Instead of working to affect every human institution with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the truth that's been revealed to us in God's word, we have surrendered these things to a lost and broken world. Jesus wants us to be sanctified in truth. He wants us to be sanctified in the truth. He wants us to be kept from evil, but he wants us in the world with the hope of his gospel. 
Listen, I, I know that right now, and listen, I feel this too. Gosh, I've got three boys. I've got three boys, and I think probably every generation has said this, but I, I tell my boys regularly. So my, my boys the other day on a drive away to school, is like, listen, guys, like, you're going to grow up in a very different world than I did. It's just going to be very, very different. And listen, my parents told me the exact same thing, and I'm sure my grandparents told them the very same thing. I think we all feel this to an extent for, for our children. Man, I, I'm so burdened for, for my kids. Just the, the lack of compass that seems to, to exist in our culture right now. Like, I'm, I'm so burdened for, man, just the direction of, of our country and, and, and the ideology that's starting to infect so many people. Like, I'm just so, so burdened for them and the world that they're going to grow up in. And, and listen, I get it, guys. As a parent, sometimes the impulse is, i got to protect you from that. i got to keep you out of it. And yeah, I want them kept from evil. And yes, I, I want them sanctified in truth. But more than anything else, you know what I want for my boys I want them to inflict wounds to the enemy by being light in the darkness. I, I don't want them to live in fear, scared of the world. I want them to live in faith in the one who has overcome the world. That's what I want for my kids. That's what we should all want for each other. Like, well, like do we not remember how this story ends? Do we not remember? Guys, we're not fighting for victory. Victory's already been won in Jesus. No matter what happens to us, we know how the story ends. We know how it's going to go for us. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to run and hide. We can stand boldly on the truth of God's word, confident that he's going to keep us, confident that he's going to hold us, confident that victory has already been won in Jesus Christ. This is the mission that he's given to his church. I just, as we close this morning very quickly, I want to do this by reminding us of the great commission that he's given to us. And sometimes when we quote the Great Commission, we just start in verse 19. I want to make sure we don't forget verse 18, where it says, Jesus came to them, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who does all authority belong to? It belongs to Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in that authority, what does he instruct us to do? Does he instruct us to go run and hide? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so only hang out with other Christians. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so live in constant terror of what's happening in the world while you watch the news and you're brainwashed by it. That's not what he says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and in that authority, what's he calls to? He says, go. Go. Because he came to us, we go to them. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. What do we do? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe, to obey everything I've commanded you. And then there's the promise. I am with you. I am with you always to the ends of the earth. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus Christ. And in that authority, he's commanded us to go. He has all power. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. He gave us a plan. That plan is for us to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize people. Is that not exciting to see that earlier? Like to celebrate this? Baptize them and then disciple them. Teach them. Teach them to observe not just some of what I've commanded you, not just the comfortable parts that I gave you, but all of what I commanded you. And as we do this, we do it with the confidence of knowing we have his presence. I'm with you always. Because this is why we don't have to live in fear. He has not left us on our own. He does not just go, call us to go. He goes with the called. He's with us in this. He's not just built the bridge. He's given us the guardrails. He's going to see us through to the other side. You and I can be in the world 
and not of the world, because the one who is not of the world has come into the world. And he goes with us as he sends us into the world. He protects us from evil by giving us his word. And as he sanctifies us in truth, he sends us out to proclaim the gospel and his good news. We don't use the word of God to hide from the world. We don't hide behind the word to hide from the world. God uses it to guide us through the world. And so listen, this morning, when the world is telling you that you can no longer know north from south and east from west, church, remember, we still have a compass that still points true. We still have a compass that still points true. So yes and amen, we pray, Father, sanctify us in truth. And what is truth? His word is truth. So Father, we ask that again this morning. We, we ask you again, we can't ask it enough times, sanctify us in truth. Silence the lies of the enemy. Silence the lies that even come from within your church today. Help us to be anchored to your word. Keep us tethered to your word. Sanctify us by your word. Make us more like Jesus through your word. When we're confused and we're distraught and it all feels like chaos and nothing can be understood, help us to remember that you've given us your word. Thank you for not just building the bridge. Thank you for giving us the guardrails and for the promise that you're going to see us through to the other side. And Father, as you sanctify us in this truth, will you give us boldness by your Holy Spirit to take this truth into the world? Lord, we do not want to use your word to, as an excuse to not fulfill the mission you've given us to. Keep us from the evil one. Sanctify us in truth. But Father, send us out, and you have. Help us to obey and to go as you've called us to go. So as we close this morning, I'm just going to ask you to keep your heads bowed with me for a moment. We're going to prepare ourselves to come to the table for communion. And before we do that, we should always do that through introspection, if necessary, through confession, through repentance. The Apostle Paul exhorts us, we should never come to the table in an unworthy manner, which means we need to be able to do honest business with the Lord. We need to recognize where our hearts and our lives are out of step with him. We need to be able to recognize where we have fallen short of his glory. And so just ask the Holy Spirit to do that work, to shine light into the darkness, to expose within you maybe what you can't even see yourself. Is there anything in your life, what words, what actions, what habits, what behaviors what motives, what intentions, what is in you this morning that is not of Christ? Let's honestly confess that to him now. Let's ask him for hearts of true and genuine repentance that we could turn from sin and walk in his holiness and righteousness through faith in his son, Jesus. Even as we confess and as we repent, as we lament and mourn over our sin, celebrate the goodness of the gospel that because Jesus consecrated himself we too can be consecrated and set apart we too can be made holy we too can be made righteous we too can be sanctified we don't have to be defined by our sin we don't have to be defined by our mistakes and our failure in our past we need to walk in the perfect righteousness that God purchased for us through the death of his son Jesus 
So Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the giving of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the life and the hope and the salvation that we can find in his name. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Use it continually to make us more like you. We ask again today, Lord, Father, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for showing it to us. Thank you for teaching it to us. May it take root in our heart, hearts and bear fruit in our lives today. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Everyone said, amen.